Anyway, let's go ahead and get in our word this morning. Uh, as you can see, we continue on with our series on family matters, God's blueprint for building a godly home. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I was very, I, I'm preaching this message with much fear and trembling. You can see my title, Putting Women in Their Place. I know, yeah. See, there was a, hey guys, did you hear that gasp? I'm telling you, don't take this home with you. <laughs> but uh, we, we've been talking about, again, and, I, and I said, I'll say it every week, we'll, we have a couple more weeks in this series. I'm concerned about the family. We live in a society right now that has done everything it can to redefine what it means to be a family unit. And what you see, please understand that what you see acted out on the nightly news is a direct correlation to the breakdown of the family. You know, they want to blame all kinds of existential, uh, uh, existential things for what you see happening on the news, but it is a direct correlation to the breakdown of the home. And if the church doesn't speak to it, who will? If the church doesn't talk about the biblical model of the leave and cleave family unit as God designed it to be, then who's going to talk about it? So that's why I felt it's so important that we tackle this series. We have been talking about marriages. Uh, we've been talking about last week. I, I, I talked to men about being a godly husband, a godly father. Uh, it's important. And I want to speak about these things. Again, I, I promised the Lord, you know, in uh, July, be 29 years we pastored here. When we came here, I said, God, I will speak and share exactly what you tell me to share, whether it's popular or not. Because, again, I'm not here for a popularity contest. I want to help people find what God has to say about things and build their life upon it. I think that's so important. Uh, in a couple of weeks, probably after Father's Day, I'm going to start a summer series entitled Hot Topics for Hot Times. And one of the things, and I, I'm just, again, a disclaimer, this has nothing to do with politics. This has everything to do with a biblical foundation and worldview. Uh, there are things that are happening in our culture right now that the church, that bothers me, that the church is silent on. And if we're not speaking, if we're not speaking to our children and our youth about biblical concepts regarding all of life, then we're setting them up for compromise in the future. And so we're going to be talking about some very pointed things that are happening in our culture. But let's go ahead and get into our word this morning. First Peter chapter 3, we'll go back there again, and we're going to read verse uh, 1 through 6. Peter writes, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. There it is again. Last week, he said, love your wife, dwell with them. Again, it's important, it's your wife, not his, and it's your husband, not his. Does that make sense? Let's just keep going. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey, this is a very important principle here, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe the chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, the, which is very precious. Notice this, which is very precious in the sight of God. He goes on, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now again, as I get right into it, I, I, I just remind you that 
I'm trying to, in this series, cut through all the rhetoric that's out there. I mean, everybody has an opinion about how the family should run. Uh, there are books that are sold. There are talk shows that focus on the family. There, there are all kinds of people weighing in on what the family unit is all about. Now, please understand that our culture has redefined family. Uh, it has redefined family. And so, as I mentioned last week, uh, when you start talking about uh, being a godly man and a godly husband and father, it's very difficult to even define what a godly man is uh, because there's so much think, there's so many voices and opinions in the periphery that we can't really, I mean, if you ask somebody what a real man is, it's very hard to define. And much of society today say men's not ne- men are not necessary. So again, we got to wade through all of that, and that's what this series is all about, to get through all the rhetoric regarding the family, because everywhere you and I turn, the sacredness of the family is being attacked. Whether it's sitcoms, whether it's talk shows, even cartoons are making fun of the traditional biblical family model. I mentioned this uh, some time back that uh, even the kingdom of the mouse has now set itself up against the kingdom of God. And we see that in our culture today. And, and somebody needs to talk about it. The church needs to say, okay, what is family? What does it mean to be a family? And, and God gives us the answer to that. And that's what we've been doing. We've been unpacking this. See, the bedrock of the family has eroded, and now society is paying a price. Again, don't be lulled into deception by thinking that all the, the violence and the rioting and all of these things have anything to do with all these peripheral things. There's a direct correlation to the breakdown of the home. Remember, as the, I, I've, I've said this for years, the, the world is sick because the church is sick. And the church is sick because families are sick. And families are sick because the marriages are sick. You heal the marriage, you heal the church. Uh, excuse me, you heal the family. <laughs> you heal the marriage, you heal the family, you heal the family, you heal the church, you heal the church, you change the world. And I truly believe that there is a, that concept is, is proven out in scripture. Now, last week, uh, uh, I talked about, and I asked the question, are you man enough? Are you man enough to be the godly man that God wants you to be? Uh, and, and I preached on that topic. And this morning, I want to preach on putting women in their place. Now, again, strong families begin how? With strong marriages. That's a st- strong marriages happen with, and, 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 are, 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 and happen because of our relationship with God. Again, if you want a strong family, it begins with each person's relationship with God. In other words, I'm a husband, okay? My relationship to God has a direct, has a direct corollary to my relationship to my wife. Likewise, her relationship with God also impacts our relationship. Remember, I said it for years, if this is not right, this won't be right. If my relationship with God is not where it needs to be, then everything's kind of out of kilter. So strong marriages begin with, excuse me, strong families begin with strong marriages, and strong marriages hinge upon each individual's relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 2, 18, God asks this question. He says, it is, or he says this, it is not good. Everybody say not good. It is not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. And so marriage and family, they're God's ideas, not man's. Again, I asked men last week, so today uh, we're going to talk about wives. So let's go with it. Okay, everybody ready? Some of you already giving me the eyeball. I see it. A wife was talking to her husband one day, and she said, Honey, I don't like you with the new glasses on. He looks at her and says, But sweetheart, I don't wear any glasses. She said, True, but I do. 
man, a man was talking to his buddy. He said, he talked about some of the jewelry that he recently bought his wife, and he said, I bought my wife a mood ring. He said, when she's in a good mood, the ring turns blue. But when she's in a bad mood, it leaves a big red spot in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> a wife was watching her husband, as he sat at the table, looking at their marriage license. And he just sat there intently staring at this marriage license. And she was moved, emotionally touched that he would be sitting there staring at this marriage license. And so she kind of slid up to him, put her arms around him, and said, Sweetheart, what are you doing? He looks at her and said, I'm looking for an expiration date. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. That's, in, in the words of Charles Barkley, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> Listen, when God created Adam and Eve, and I've, said, I've stressed this over and over and over again, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them as equals. One of, the, one of the great hesitations and resistance regarding a biblical concept of the family and marriage in particular is that the world thinks that Christianity is oppressive and demeaning, in, and chauvinistic actually is probably the better word, in relationships. And nothing could be further from the truth, right? We understand that, right? See, when God created Adam and Eve, he did create them male and female, that's what the Bible says. He created them male and female, but he created them different uh, in the sense that we have different functions and different purposes. We're on equal plane. When I stand before God, we stand as equals. When my wife stands before God, we stand as equals, but we differ in our function and in our purpose. And again, a lot of harm has been done in this area because of not understanding the uniqueness of men and women as ordained by God. You see, when Eve was created... God had looked at all of creation, and he saw that each one had a, had a similar companion, and man was alone, and so he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So what does he do to remedy the situation? He, out of man, creates Eve. Eve was designed to be a, uh, and I just invented a new word this morning, I asked Dr. Montgomery, and she said it was okay. So Eve was designed to be a completer, okay, completer. What does that mean? It means Eve was designed, she was created to furnish what was lacking in Adam. And Adam fulfilled and furnished what was lacking in Eve. They were designed to complement or complete each other. So when sin corrupted God's creative order, it changed the role of husband and wife. So instead of being a completer, we've now become competitors. Think about it. We now have husbands and wives, rather than completing each other, they compete against each other, and it creates a havoc in the modern home. Proverbs 31 asks the question, or talks about the excellent wife, says, an excellent wife, who can find? Who can find an excellent wife? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, you read that scripture and you think, wow, that's pretty cool. Here's the thing. The modern feminist movement contends that this right here is oppressive and demeaning to women and it holds them back. I'm here to tell you that's not true. This passage and others like it exalt women in their God-given position in the home, in the church, and in the world. 
when rightly understood in the context of what God was doing, it elevates women. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. God has done more for women's movement. Jesus Christ has done more than any other person in the history of the world for women's movement. And yet, modern feminism says uh, that it's oppressive and it's demeaning to women. Again, you look at the Proverbs 31 woman. This is the type of wife that is... Uh, uh, the desire of every man, and she's not easy to find. That's, what, that's why he's writing it. Her value is beyond jewels. She's priceless. This type of lady, and I'll, tell, I'll speak to the young men here, the teenage boys, this type of woman is worth waiting for. It's worth patience to find this type of life. An excellent wife, what is she? She's a godly woman. She's a godly woman. She brings great blessings to her household is what the uh, writer of Proverbs says. He goes on, and he says, her husband has no lack of gain, and she brings growth in every area of his life. Happy is the man who finds such a wife. The Bible says he, has, he never has to worry because she does him good and not harm all the days of his life. That's an excellent wife. So this morning, for the remainder, I want to talk about a couple things. What does it take to become an excellent wife? Well, in our text this morning, Peter lays it out. Again, I know I'm talking to different dynamics this morning. We've got single parents and we've got divorcees and things of that nature and widows and widowers. Listen, this is true of relationships, but I'm talking specifically to wives this morning. Here's how you do it. Number one, everybody ready? Don't throw anything, okay? Live a submissive life. That's it. You want to talk about a biblical marriage, a biblical family, it begins by wives living a submissive life. Now, I didn't say this, okay? This is not Mike Mizell 316. This is God's word, right? God did this. Again, we know very few words that can spark. I mean, there's probably not many more words in the English language that spark uh, anger, resentment, hostility than the word submit. It's because most people misunderstand that word. See, for many, the concept of a wife submitting to her husband is insulting and degrading but again, you've got to understand that a biblical marriage is based on mutual submission. Mutual submission. One to another as unto the Lord. I talked about that last week. So today I'm just focusing on the wives. So again, I want to tell you uh, this morning, all the wives that are here, those that have tuned in this morning, if you want to have a, the marriage of your dreams, it begins by being submissive to your husband. Now, what does that word mean? Now, the, what, what the word means, it means to come under. It means to come under his covering, his authority, his guidance. That's what it means, okay? So here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that a wife should submit herself to be abused by her husband. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything like that. In fact, I, I've got a pretty tender heart, and, and uh, my, my blood boils if I see a man abusing a woman. I want to take them out back and do a little Krav Maga on them. There's no place for that. You want to prove yourself a man, jump in the ring with me, and I'll help you out. But you leave the ladies alone. That's not what submit means. It doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean abusing your wife. Nor does it mean that you should do anything, that you should do things wrong if he wants you to do something wrong. If it violates God's word, you shouldn't do it. Right? Amen? Amen. There, there is a line. So that's not what he's saying. He's, saying. he's not saying submit and do anything and everything that he says. That's, exact, that's taken out of context. What he's doing here, submission is a powerful concept that God is teaching uh, about his order. How many understand that we serve a God that's a God of order? And when he's talking about submission, he's talking about an order of things. 
In a biblical sense, submission is not a bad word. Submission, in a biblical sense, is something beautiful in the sight of God. It is a virtue that we should all uh, be uh, pursuing. Jesus himself modeled submission, right? He said, not my will, but your will be done. He modeled submission. And he teaches us that we're to submit one to another, and it, there ought to be mutual submission. But in a relationship, in a home, in a marriage, a wife is to submit to her husband. Now, again, there's a natural resistance toward submission. And before you think, again, Christianity is chauvinistic, I'll say it again. Jesus Christ has done more to help the cause of women than any other person in the history of the world. I love what Edwin Lewis Cole says uh, regarding this situation. He says, and I quote, In the beginning, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve lived as joint heirs. Jointly, they inherited the blessings of God and exercised dominion over the earth. When they sinned, and brought the curse, Eve was told that Adam would rule over her. Again, we're talking about order and assignment, not value. See, that's where we've dropped the ball. We have, we've somehow misconstrued the word submissive to be less than, and it's not it at all. Different in function, different in purpose, but on the same plan, on the same plane. When, when the last Adam came, listen, under the curse, when sin came, all of a sudden, that submission was an involuntary submission, right? I talked about it last week. Last week, we said that in the Jewish law and the Roman law and the Greek law, women had very little rights. In fact, most women in that culture were just a little bit more valuable than an animal or a slave. That, that was, that's what these, these guys are writing in that time. And yet, through Christ and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right, these writers elevated the role of women and their role and their responsibility and their value. Submission was part of the curse in the Old Testament. Again, it was done involuntarily. But when Jesus came and he corrected everything, now submission in the New Testament is a voluntary expression of faith. A voluntary expression of faith. When a wife submits to her husband's authority, she is voluntarily putting herself under his covering in the order that God has established. You want to talk about peace and harmony? Follow that. Follow that. So wives, if I'm going to put you in your place. Submit. Follow the order that God has established. Don't buy into this feminist junk today. Don't buy into this feminist junk today. Biblical submission has nothing to do with a man being a boss. Guys, if you play that card, you're wrong. Has nothing to do with men being a boss. Guys, it's not your job, it's not a husband's job to make his wife submit. Probably not the best idea either, (laughs) right? It's not our job, not our responsibility. Wives, the Lord wants you to voluntarily voluntarily place yourself under your husband's authority. Sounds ridiculous, right? Well, listen to me. If you want the husband of your dreams, then you need to follow the designer's plan. Again, if we're talking biblical marriage, God has a, he's assigned a role. I said it last week, a husband is to love his wife, how? As Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave himself for her. That means that, guys, your loyalty, second to Christ, obviously, your loyalty, your ambitions, your goals are to her first. One of the complaints I hear most about uh, when, I, when I have couples come in, one of the complaints I hear most is he never has time for me. Remember last week I said your wife needs time? He's busy doing all of these things with everybody else, and I'm stuck here at home. 
I mentioned this in early service when, when before Sheila had her stroke 10 years ago. Um, if I was invited to go to a conference or to, to, to do something, uh, speak somewhere or whatever, I would generally come in to Sheila and say, hey, uh, I've got to go to, you know, wherever. And I would just inform her. So you see the difference? I would inform her, say, hey, I'm going here. And I'd go and do my thing and come back. And, you know, and I never thought anything about that. But when she got sick and I became her caregiver, the first thing when somebody says, hey, Pastor, we need you to go here. We'd like for you to do this. The first thing I think about is her. I think about, okay, who's going to take care of her? Who's going to get her breakfast? Who's going to lay her meds out? Who's going to sit with her? Who's going to laugh with her? Well, if you sit with her, you're going to laugh because... I'm glad she's here today. I can pick on her. But see what happened. So all of a sudden, I understood. I understood. So guys, listen, when you love your wife like that, again, I've shared this with you before. I did a men's conference a few years ago in West Virginia, and I was talking about if I were to walk into Sheila, to my wife, and I said, hey, honey, I'm going to buy an acre on the moon. You know what she would say to me? Again, i got 250 guys there, and they're throwing out all kinds of manly comments and stuff like that. I said, here's what she would say to me. She would say, whatever you think, and then probably laugh. And I said, you know why she would say that? At this time, it would have been maybe seven years that she had had her stroke. I said, because for seven years, I've demonstrated my commitment to her. The first thing I think about is her. If I need to do something, I think about her. If I need to go somewhere, I think about her. I said, she's the first thing I think about. And I said, so my wife trusts me. If she don't, I'll lock her wheels and walk away, right? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, I'm just. But she trusts me. And I said, I said, how many of you men want your wife to trust you like that, but you've never given a reason for her to trust you? Go on, do an altar call, and I'm doing this altar call, and a guy comes down. He's probably mid to upper 60s, and he walks down to the altar, and he's sobbing. I mean, this guy, literally, he's bawling his eyeballs out. Now, I've seen guys come emotional and, and cry a little bit, but this guy's sobbing. I mean, he's just tore up. And I, I, felt, I found that to be a little bit unusual. And so I, I walked down to him, and I, I put my arm on him. I said, hey, man, what's, what's up? Can I, how can I pray with you? He said, I get it. I'm like, what would you get? He said, well, I get it. He said, you know, I, he said, I recently retired. And he said, I bought, a, I bought a travel trailer, and I bought a, a boat. And he said, I had all these plans that w- my wife and I would travel, and we would do all of these things. Uh, and he said, my wife seemed so disinterested he said, it, it, to me, it's almost like I'm a bother even asking her to go somewhere. He said, but when you started sharing about your wife and how you take care of her and what you've learned through this process, he said, I, it finally, I got it. He said, I'm going to go home. And he said, I'm going to sit my wife down. I'm going to take her hands and I'm going to apologize and tell her that I will sell everything that I bought and then I will do anything that she wants to do for the rest of our lives. And I said, dude, you do that? And I said, hey. You're going to have a great rest of your life. I said, because now your wife understands and you understand. See, guys, when you love, see, we, we men, we like to use this scripture here. Wives, be submissive, but we don't give them a reason to. Now, I'm going to qualify that. Usually when we think about submission, we say something like, well, it's too hard. If my husband would just act the way that he should. How many ever said that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many's ever said that before? Well, if he would just be the type of husband he's supposed to be. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Peter gives us a qualifier. 
Notice what he says there. Peter's not talking about husbands who are believers. Peter's talking about husbands who aren't believers. Notice what he said there. Husbands who do not obey the word of God. There, puts a different light, does it not? See that when he says do not obey in this verse, it means a husband who deliberately sets himself against the truth. He said, wives, if you want to reach your husband, live a gentle, quiet, submissive life to him. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you should do anything illegal. It doesn't mean that he has the power to abuse you or boss you around. That's not what it means. But it means you willingly come under his authority and you live a respectful life. Again, how many know that Jesus has called us to be second-mile believers? What do you say? If a man bid you to go to a mile, go with him two. That's what he's calling us to do, is to go the extra mile with each other in our relationships. God has decreed that men are the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. And for harmony and unity to exist in the home, each person must respect their place and their assigned role. Again, not value, but function. We get caught up in value. We think because a, a man's the head of the home that he's more valuable or more important. That, that's, that nothing could be further from the truth. Not it at all. It's about function and purpose. Same value. Same value. We submit to our Heavenly Father, and out of reverence, we submit to each other. The second thing, this. First, okay, so first of all, if you want to have the husband of your dreams, be the wife of his dreams, Submit, live a submissive life. Secondly, respect your husband. Respect your husband. It's an interesting thing today. I told you last week, it's very hard to define what a man is. If you turn to culture, culture is going to give you all kinds of, 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 I call it brouhaha, about what a man is. In fact, there are certain segments of society that believe that, man, that men are not even worth the time in our society. See, again, God's plan for marriage is that a man loves his wife as Christ loved the church, and women are to submit to their own husbands. God has placed inside of man a need for respect. Did you get that? God has placed inside a man a need for respect. You want to know how men respond? Men respond to respect. That's it. One of the worst things a wife can do to her husband and her marriage is berate her husband or to put him down constantly. Men don't respond to that, okay? Listen, if you constantly nag and berate your husband, it sends a very powerful message that you don't respect him. You tear him down. Think about this. How many's ever had a balloon? And you, you've taken that balloon, and maybe you've poked a needle in that end part there where, the, where you tie it. That balloon doesn't immediately pop. If you do it on the side, it'll blow up. But it doesn't immediately pop. But what you do is when you poke it in and pull it out, that balloon will begin to slowly deflate. See, that's what happens when a wife constantly nags and berates her husband and cuts him down and puts him down, is that he begins to deflate. His manhood begins to be taken away. Listen, it's not a wife's job to correct her husband's every move nor is it a, uh, her responsibility to inspect everything that he does. I, I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a great, uh, profound statement right here. Your husband will never do it like you do it. Right? Because he can't. If you want it done your way, do it. But if you want him to do it your way, he'll never do it. Because men aren't like that. Men, men are wired different. 
So, so if you understand that going into the relationship, let the man do what the way he, he is wired to do it. Respect him, give him that confidence that he needs, and let's let him go. Get off his back. Because every time you nag him, every time you criticize him, you are robbing him of his manhood, deflating his self-image. And listen to me, at some point, he's going to look to someone else to build him up. That's a fact, Jack. Men respond to respect. They don't respond to nagging. You know, even Solomon gets in on that. Solomon describes a woman who is incessant about complaining and griping and criticizing. Proverbs 12.4 says, A wife of noble character is the husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. That's a powerful image, right? Ladies, listen, you're either a crown of pride on his head or you're a pain in the neck. That's pretty much what he's saying. Proverbs 21.19, Better to live in a desert than, a, than with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife. I'm not going to say that. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife. Again, listen, ladies, it's not your right or duty to nag your husband at every drop of the hat. Your, your nagging is like a cancer that robs him of his vitality and his health. It just eats away, eats away. Again, I'm talking about a biblical concept of marriage. Uh, society doesn't have a, again, what's, what do sitcoms do? Sitcoms basically portray men as buffoons. Sitcoms portray husbands as buffoons in need of the wife to take care of them. We could talk about that. Men just get at a place where they don't care anymore. Proverbs 19.13 says, A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Anybody ever had a dripping faucet? Did it drive you crazy? You get the imagery, right? Don't you love how they paint pictures for us? If you've ever had a faucet that just goes drip, drip, drip. He said that's what nagging does. That's what nagging does. Again, nagging is, is not going to help your situation at all. If you yell, scream, and nag at your husband, you're asking for a terrible mar marriage. Again, everyone understanding their assignment and their role. I know this is a difficult message. I'd rather be preaching something has you jumping up and down shouting hallelujah. But this is reality. This is reality. We live in a world, in a society, where families are breaking apart every single day. Kids are growing up without a biblical role model to, to, to be able to take into their relationships. Amen. It's important. The church needs to be speaking about this stuff. We need to teach our children and our, our, our grandchildren to, uh, and model for them what it means to be a husband and a wife. I remember one time my, my, my son had, you know, as teenage kids do, my son had gotten a little mouthy with his, his mama. And I grabbed him. And I said, dude. That's my wife. Don't you be talking about my wife? He said, that's my mama. I said, she was my wife first. <laughs> she was my wife first. <laughs> they need to know. Peter says, again, notice what Peter says here. Let your adornment. He said, don't get all dolled up on the outside and inside be as ugly as all get out. Did you notice that? Think about how much time we spend on beautifying the outside and pay very little attention to what's going on on the inside. So Peter says, hey, don't let your adornment of beauty be merely outward. Don't go through all the expense. Don't, go to, don't get it nipped and tucked and 
and, and sucked and, and, and shot up and whatever else they do nowadays. <laughs> he said, don't go through all of that process and do just the outward adornment. Let your beauty, here's what he said, let it be the hidden person of your heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. In other words, he said, let your beauty be something on the inside. Let it be genuine and real. Listen, anybody can buy a $30-a-gallon gallon bucket of paint and paint up something and make it look good. You know, you can take rotten boards and you can paint over it and you'd never know the difference for a little while. He said, don't do that. Don't paint up the outside of a rotten person that you are. He said, let your beauty be something that emanates from the inward out. That's precious in the sight of God. See, there's a false notion today that if you fight with your husband, then you're proving that you're strong and you can stand up to him. No, you're not. You're just being loud. You're not. Your strength is not having to be loud. Your strength is not having to engage him in yelling and screaming. Your strength is not throwing a fit at him. Your strength is a gentle and quiet spirit. More men have fallen to a gentle, quiet beauty than yelling and screaming ever accomplished. I was talking about my little granddaughter. She's four years old. Little Emmy. Emerson, is, is, is she's a firecracker. You know anything about Emmy? She'll be prancing in here in just a little bit. She's, she's about yay tall, but boy, she acts like she's Goliath, man. She just, she carries herself like she's King Kong incarnate. Just, just a little bitty thing. But here's what she does have. And, and she's mischievous. And, and it's kind of funny because with her older sister, who's almost nine, she bosses her. We've had them for the weekend. So that's why I've lost more hair than I, had, I did last week. It's been a long time since I've had kids in my car arguing, she's breathing my air. <laughs> she's looking out my window. <laughs> been a long time. But she bosses like nobody's business. And it's kind of funny because most of the time when she, when she barks, people respond. And you try to get on her, and that little girl, she'll just look up at you with those big old brown eyes. She's as cute as can be, and you just melt. You just melt, and you're like, how can I get, a, how can I get on to somebody so cute? Guys, what I'm saying, and, and ladies, this is what I'm saying. Your job is not to get up in your husband's face and yell and scream and fight with him. Your job is to have a gentle and quiet spirit and watch that melt him. Watch it melt him. Quit emasculating your husband. The world says you've got to be loud and obnoxious and rude. He says be gentle and quiet. And live out before him and watch what happens. He goes on and he gives examples in verses 5 and 6. He said, long ago, those women who worshiped God and put their hope in him made themselves beautiful. How? By putting their husbands first. For example, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Guys, don't run with that. Because <laughs> it doesn't mean what you think it means. He said, you are her true children if you do right and do not let anything frighten you. In other words, don't let the, the voices of the world, don't let all these peripheral things out there about how you should be this and you should be that. And, and if your friend says, well, if he's my husband, I'd put him in his place. He said, don't be frightened by that nonsense. Live a quiet and gentle life and you'll find the marriage of your dreams. Again, wives are instructed to, to respect their husbands. Sarah called Abraham Lord. 
Again, men have a tremendous need to have their ego built up. And you please understand, that's not because men are weak. Not it at all. God wired us that way. You see, we have to have respect and confidence of our wives. And if we do, we'll crawl across the country on our knees to do something for them. If a husband knows that he's valued by his wife, there's not any mountain he won't move for her because he knows that he's valued. I mean, think about this. You think about little Johnny in school, right? Johnny will try to impress Susie by building the best sandcastle that he can build. As he grows up, little Johnny, as he grows up, you know what he does? He starts trying to show off on his bicycle. You know, I can remember those days. We'd set out those little ramps. Anybody ever did that besides me? Put those ramps out in your in the driveway or in the street, you know, nowadays you'd have to wear bubbles to do that. They don't let you do that anymore, but we just got out there and we just went for it. And we'd look to see if our girl was watching. He gets into high school. He scores the winning touchdown. You know what he's doing? He's looking over there to see if Susie's watching him. Because there's something in a man that wants to impress his woman. There's something in a man that that he wants her to value him and to think much about him. A man robbed, you think about it, a man robbed of his pride, dignity, and self-esteem is a very pitiful creature. He becomes very defensive and withdrawn. He's like a little child that gets the sucker taken away. He sulks and resentful. And here's what he does. Ladies, listen. He will bow to your, your incessant nagging and bickering and complaining. He'll bow to that and accept the fact that he can't win, so he gives up. That's what he does. Verbal put-downs from a wife are poison to a husband's heart. And like I said, you'll constantly continue deflating him to the point where he'll have to start looking elsewhere to be built up. Because God wired men like that. Again, your husband has a deep need to be admired. He wants to know that you value him. When was the last time you said to your husband, and I, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm treading very carefully. Like I said, I wanted to put a barricade up here. I really did. <laughs> Your husband wants to know that you value him. He wants to know that you respect what he does, that you're proud of him. And again, it has nothing to do with a weak ego. This is just how God, this is how God made us. Negatives hurt men deeply. Negatives, again, emasculate us. It takes uh, marriage experts. In fact, I read this earlier this week. Marriage experts say that negative comments are one of the most predictable causes of divorce. Negativity. Ladies, you can build confidence in your husband by being there, being his champion. You can become the wife of his dreams and watch him turn into the husband of your dreams. Don't be critical of your husband, especially in front of other people. Isn't that a sad commentary where we live today? The butt of jokes oftentimes is the husband. Don't be critical of your husband. Let me ask you this. If your friends only knew your husband based upon what you said about him, what would they think of him? You ever thought about that? If, if they'd never met your husband, never seen anything about him on social media, if all they had to know him by was what you said to them about him, what would they think about him? Would they honor him? Would they think, wow, esteem him highly? Or would they think, what a jerk? What a punk? Be careful. Your husband needs to know that you're in his corner. That you support his dreams and his visions. See, your words can speak life or they can speak death. And the Bible says, choose life. If you want your marriage to blossom, guys, come on back, I'm going to wrap this up. If you want your marriage to blossom and to thrive, 
Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Don't look at your wife. I told you last week, she's not your slave. She's not there to be domineered by you. Look at her as an equal and someone that you're to love and put ahead of everybody else. See, guys, we are very guilty of wanting to give leftover time to our wife. We want to do all of these things. And then if we have any energy and time left over, we give it to our wives. No, the biblical model is you honor her first with your time other outside of Christ. You take care of her first, her needs first, and then you address everything else. Am I saying it's wrong to have friends? Listen to me. No. <laughs> it's healthy. It's needed and it's wise. But I'm saying don't, what's the word? Don't cultivate the friendships and neglect the wife. Ladies, don't be critical of your husband. Don't nag him. Be a gentle and quiet person. Come under his authority, under God, and watch what God will do with your relationship. Listen, I for one believe that there's power in unleashing the Christian family. I want you to stand with me this morning as I kind of bring this in as we get ready to pray. Again, this is a very different, different series. I, I, when, I, when I started talking about going this direction, we've been on this now. I think this is week number four. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about the foundation of a family. Next week, I'll be talking about parenting. Listen, if, you, if you're a parent, your grandparent, you want to be a parent, whatever, you need to be here. Next week, I'll be unpacking what the scriptures say about parenting today. But right now, I want to talk about the relationship. How's your home life? Husband, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Wives, are you respecting your husband and submitting to his authority? Again, don't buy into the, the feministic movement today that says that means that you're degrading yourself. You're not. You're finding order and you're finding balance. That's where the blessings come. This is the covering. When I take myself out, that's rebellion and it prevents me from finding the blessings of God. I'm going to ask you to bow with me this morning just for a moment. This was a hard message. It really was. I'm a, I'm a family man. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my children, my grandchildren. I've been very open with the challenges we've had in our marriage. The Lord tarries till September. It'll be 36 years. But I've learned, and I continue to learn, that there's no better pattern for the family than God's pattern. And that nothing is too far gone that God can't restore. See, I remember in John where Jesus was invited or asked to come to a funeral. When he got there, his friend had been dead for four days, stuck in that tomb. But even that could not hold back when God spoke and said, come out. So what I'm saying this morning is that you may be standing here saying, Pastor, you don't understand. My marriage is on the rocks. My relationship is down the tubes. Well, I still believe in resurrection power. I still believe that God can speak into that dead situation and bring life out of that this morning. He can turn the heart of the husband to the wife and the heart of the wife to the husband. I still believe that today. So as we sing here in just a moment, 
you're here today, and again, regardless of whether this is your first time or you've been here for as long as I have, if you're here this morning, say, you know what, Pastor, my family needs a miracle. My family needs a miracle. Then I'm going to ask you to come and let somebody pray with you. Two things. If you need prayer for anything today, I want you to join me down front here. Listen, we are a family church. You don't have to deal with life by yourself. You don't have to struggle by yourself. We're here to help you walk through the deep, dark valleys of life. So we'll pray with you over any need that you might have today. Maybe you need a physical touch. Maybe you need a financial miracle. You want somebody to agree with you today. Maybe you need guidance and direction. We'll pray with you. But secondly, maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I need a miracle in my family. I need a miracle in my family. Maybe it's an extended family. Maybe adult kids and their families. Maybe you want to stand in on their behalf and say, Pastor, I'm going to stand in for my son and his family or my daughter and his family, her family. So as they sing, would you come this morning and let us pray? Let's turn our attention to the one who designed and created the family concept today. Creation knows the voice has spoken to the voice the breath that brought the dust to life sang the stars to form the darkness fears your Work those miracles today, Lord. Though the night is long, I know your light will drive it back once more. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. One word from you, things change on your authority.
hope's not moved, the spirit's not be silenced, and cower at his rule. For if my God is for me, then what have I to fear? And I will not deny him the glory that is his. Will heaven not prevail? Strongholds not be loose. Will spirits not be silenced? Cower at his rule. For if my God is for me, then what have I to fear? I will not deny. Glory that is His, heaven will prevail, strongholds will be moved, spirits will be silenced, power at His rule. I know my God is for me, so what have I to fear? For nothing will deny the glory that is. Would you bless the Lord this morning? Come on, let's put our hands together this morning. Would you celebrate Jesus today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Listen, church, I'm tired of seeing the enemy pick people off. I'm tired of seeing him destroy families. I'm tired of seeing him destroy our children, our marriages. I'm tired of it. This book right here gives us everything that we need to build a happy, healthy home. We're going to stand, and my, my prayer is this. Let revival, let the power of the biblical family flow out of us and start right here in Johnson County and emanate throughout. Listen, call me naive if you want to. That's okay. I still dare to believe this book right here. I believe we can be the spark that starts a revival among the families that changes our world. May God help us to do that. Father, I love you today, and I thank you. 
I pray, God, that we would, again, that we would be a sponge to soak up, Lord, your teachings on what the biblical family model is all about. Lord, I pray that you help us to tune out the voices of the world so that we can hear the only one that really matters. Father, I pray that you would come in your power and in your glory into our marriage and into our homes. Turn the heart of the husband to the wife and the heart of the wife to the husband. And Lord, I pray you turn the heart of parents to the children and heart of children to the parents. Lord, strengthen the bond of matrimony, Lord. Strengthen the biblical family, Lord. Help us to be an example, Lord, to a world that's lost its way. Father, I thank you for answered prayer this morning. I thank you that we can build upon a firm foundation. You said forever, oh Lord, my word, your word has been established in heaven. Lord, may we build upon that unchanging word. Now you go with us today. Give us a wonderful afternoon, a restful afternoon. Lord, should you, Terry, bring us again the next appointed time. Lord, and I pray that every day that we walk around as a, as a light that shines in the darkness. Put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you. And I love you very much. Yeah.